0: your presentation welcome back to another untitled movie podcast i am one of your hosts matt roerbeck uh alongside he's allergic to tomatoes but he is tomato meter approved eric margin
1: matt it's october we're doing a regular episode uh life sucks matt <laughs> <laughs> we just were just saying it right now right, right i hate before.
0: it Hey, you're about to go on a nice vacation, which is nice. You deserve it. I I agree with that. I think we both um have had uh, weird years, I would say. Um and you know, uh, a year of big changes and all this kind of stuff, uh both good and bad. Um yeah, man. I I definitely understand. Like this is we were talking right before with this episode 147, everyone. But we've been very sporadic with the main episodes this year <laughs> they've been they've been you'll get one in august you'll get one in october maybe you got some earlier in the year but like they're all over the place we're hoping you know we'll get to a more regular schedule when it comes to that but also we'll just do it whenever the fuck we feel like doing it um you know everyone knows what i went through early in the year uh, if you're a, a regular listener i've been sort of open with all of that i'm back at school right now as well um, so, you know, the schedule for the podcast has been all over the place. Uh, but yeah, Eric, you've obviously gone through some, and you don't have to talk about anything. You, people follow you on social. They probably know what's going on too. Oh, and I'll we'll make it quick. It as-
1: I, I will, I will tell you as a sad boy yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, 2023 can go fuck right off.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with you
1: because in August, my un- uncle died unexpectedly. Um, which you talked heart, about
0: on the show for sure. his heart yeah.
1: gave out. Yeah. And so that was not fun. Um, and then on the same day uh, on October the 5th, um, the day that was tough enough having to put down uh, one of my dogs, George, uh, as soon as uh, I got out of the vet with, with my parents and um, a couple hours later, my grandfather passed away and, and, It basically was one of the worst days of my life, and it's one of the most painful experiences I've ever had um, because he was someone that wasn't just my grandfather, but it felt like basically I lost a father figure in my life as well. You know, he was always there when it came to, you know, when I needed him. Especially when my mom and dad divorced and my dad left, um, but he was always a voice of reason. He was always someone that I felt comfortable talking to about anything and everything. Um, and he he saved my life um, a couple of times. And I have just been having a really hard time accepting not only that he's gone, but... It just, it hurts thinking every day that he is gone, that I have to realize that and believe that and think about that and knowing that I can't just give him a call or drive over. And so it's going to take a long time to feel less sad, Mm -hmm. um, but I was really lucky, um, that weekend, not because it was my birthday on the eighth. <laughs> um the timing was incredible. Um and then my my grandparents um you know 60th wedding anniversary was on the 9th. Um <sighs> it, it was because of you, it was because of my brothers, it was because of my mom and my aunt and everybody supporting everybody. My stepbrother Chris who was unbelievably supportive. My stepfather Mike who was uh, amazing and 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 so like just you know like coming over to your place which I'd never been over to your place before, which is kind of funny. <laughs> that's a, well, uh, I mean,
0: you've been over to my place, not this place where I'm living right now. No, 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 no. A, that's, yeah, that's what I mean. Like,
1: I've never, yeah. I, I've never been over to the place that, you know, if you're watching this on-, on This place. Yeah. YouTube, yes, this place. So I got to see it for the first time.
0: <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Was it everything you dreamed it to be? Oh, and know? more, yeah, and yeah.
1: more. Uh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, and so we ended up watching- <laughs> Most of the final
0: destination. <laughs> Literally movies. 98% of them. Uh. <laughs> and
1: hard target. Um, and I think it was the best part of a really bad situation and a really sad one. Um and then, you know, like there were moments where I like I I remember like I was having a moment where I wasn't crying or anything, but I was just mm-hmm. kind of like just thinking because it was on it was on the eighth. It was after like i was at your place and then i went home and kyle yeah, picked me yeah. up and Kong heidi um also heidi amazing um so literally i'm just sitting there at the table and connor comes and sits next to me and just rubs my back and and i just <laughs> lost it there too um that's gonna and, happen man no i know and, and i think i think also just because it was you know if if you're canadian you'll know this but uh if you're an internationalist or or or, or some, from somewhere around the world that's not canada um that weekend is or that weekend was canadian thanksgiving so i think holidays it's even more
0: heightened or yeah, noticeable you had holidays, when you had birthdays, someone's gone. You had anniversaries yeah yeah so it, was, so
1: it was just so intense in such a short yeah span of time that when it came to everything else it was kind of just like Okay, this it, this doesn't feel real. This feels like I'm in some sort of uncomfortable, surreal nightmare. That's just like I don't know how to act, how to do anything. But then again, like you know, having you and having and having the rest of the family and and all that kind of stuff really did help. And you know, I because I don't want to just make it all about me either. Because it's like Kyle lost no. his grandfather, Connor lost his grandfather. Like it's 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 all of us and. You know, my mom lost her father. My aunt lost her father. It's just like, it's just, you know, he, he touched so many people in a way that like, you know, everybody that was around him loved him. And, um, my grandmother, like in particular, I mean, she, you know, their anniversary was that weekend, but she had known him for about 70 years. And so it's just like, you know, how, how do you even begin to try to think about like life without someone and then um yeah it's so it's you know this trip that i have coming up as we're recording i'm about to fly out to aruba my grandfather paid for it he paid for all of his grandchildren yeah because he wanted us to be together and i think like that was the one thing he was most afraid of when he was diagnosed with, with with cancer with stage four cancer it wasn't about himself and I'm sure he was afraid, but you know, he was the last of his family. All of his brothers and sisters died in their 50s and 60s. His mom died when he was eight. And I was named after him. His name's Eric Stanley Neat. And so um I think he was just more afraid of leaving my nan with nobody and then also just wanting us to be be there for each other. Oh yeah. You know? And so and he was also just really frustrated because he couldn't – he could not – he wasn't mobile at the end, but his mind was still sharp. And I think that yeah. was the most frustrating part of it. So, you know, I, I think if you're if you're lucky to still have a grandparent in your life, um, one that you really do care about and, you know, make sure every conversation you have with them – even if you know you're going to talk to them again just say you love them you know yeah. make sure that you that you know how much you care yeah. and 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 I think that's the one thing that's always going to eat me up even now is that I didn't get that one chance to say goodbye and you never I know did, buddy,
0: and I, I know, you know I know
1: but I just wish I did and yeah. it's going to hurt for a very long time and so you know, even now it's it's tough, but uh, well, you know, thank you I, for sharing that. That
0: was, that was <laughs> I watched dumb Final Destination like... movies. on so. yeah, a more important. <laughs> uh thank you for sharing that that was that was lovely you yeah. didn't have to do that but um i i really do appreciate that and you know what i i know what you're going through and i yeah, love I, anybody, uh, I mean you lost to all i mean all of your grandparents and, all and, and four in the last uh since i started dating nevis uh um, yeah it's all her fun. Oh wow don't put that on her <laughs> <laughs> kidding I, I she was you know right beside me uh throughout all of those so um I, i'm so so grateful for her and like you're grateful for your family and for you and um you know i i got your back and i love you buddy so thank you for uh for sharing that uh but now more importantly saw 10 came <laughs> out. <No. laughs>
1: I'm out of here. I'm out (laughs) of here.
0: All right. Yeah. It's shitty year. 2023. Not great. The last, you know, let's just say the last couple of years haven't been great. There's been some bright spots here and there, um, but we're all still just, you know, making it through. Um, I don't know how to transition now. Where, where do you want I don't to think go? there's really any good way. I mean, way. Of, I mean you already did with Saw weekend. Ten. No, let's talk about that weekend. You did come over, which was which was a blast. You know, I wanted you to kind of take your mind off things, so we watched the weirdest grieving and we ate um, movie. the shittiest, oh food. shittiest food. Yeah, that's what you got to do, man. Um, Nevis was away um, in Hawaii uh, that week as well, so I had like the you know the bachelor week of like. Completely feral, just sitting in my own filth eating garbage for like a week. <laughs> It'd be um, amazing if Nevis came back and
1: found you in like a, a, a diaper and like, like just of just
0: like garbage everywhere. No, it was very lovely and smeared in peanut butter. Uh, Eric, when Eric came over, I was like, I better tidy up. It wasn't even that bad, but like, I don't care. It, it was just like one of those things of being like, oh, I don't have to do not not that you know it's obviously amazing when she's here but like it was just um uh one of those things of being like i'm gonna do fucking nothing um and it was great uh but yeah you came over we ate trash uh we ate like garbage and then we just watched garbage movies i mean hard target not a garbage movie a great movie oh yeah it's Um, it's truly an entertaining film yeah um absolutely ridiculous from start to finish but had a blast uh watching that and then we were trying to find some Kind of schlocky horror to watch because we're in October and and that's what one does in October. And then both you and I—I I didn't realize you'd watched it a couple of years ago or something like that. But I hadn't seen the Final Destination movies since probably the mid two thousands when they came out. Um, so had an absolute blast where we just kind of like marathoned those like one after another, just watching the most Looney Tunes ass. Uh, death sequences and um, found myself, you know, enjoying them in a nostalgic way, more so than anything. Like none of them are 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 very good, but like they're weirdly like enjoyable because of the Rube Goldberg kind of like what ridiculous way are they going to to kill this person? And um, I found them to be more creative than people give it credit for, even just because I do find all the kind of like the way that something has to happen for another thing to happen for another thing, for everything to seem like an accident for that person to die. Um, They get worse and worse as they kind of go. The 3d one is absolutely horrible. It's awful. Um, Oh, it's
1: the most dated of, um, of, of all of them, which you'd think the first one would be, but the first is actually, even though it's of the time of the early two thousands, the first two, even, they hold up in their their construction i think you know like the pitch of those movies were it's the slasher without the slasher you know and the concept is the star in a way and ultimately i don't think the concept has been utilized to its fullest but there's still something about those movies that feel very inventive and fun with how they portray death and you know having tony todd is almost kind of like a middleman um, you know, the Charon taking you to hell and, and Hades and things like that, it, or even just the question of who, what Tony Todd's Undertaker is. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the actual set pieces and designs hold up, I think, in the first couple of films, even, you, you know, as, as you move along, I think what kind of takes away from them is that they become less practical, Right. Like yeah. a lot of it is more CGI or post-production based where the first two you're getting actual like splatter gore, you know, Car VFX crashes, that are in like, camera. Yeah.
0: yeah. I, I think those first two movies, especially like especially the second one, um, I, I find that opening sequence on the highway to be I'll say iconic when it comes to horror movies and like has withstood the test of time for at least people our age. Like I know anyone, even people again who hadn't watched that franchise knows that opening where if you're on driving on a highway and you're behind some sort of truck that has large, uh, cylinders on the back whether they're trees or metal or or something like that um they'll always try to move away from that truck saying that they don't want to get final destination right like that's yeah. something that i think has, and it is a great opening sequence i think in that second one like definitely the best of the franchise um where it's it's the most goopy the most practical like real car crashes real kind of practical gore and stuff like that and even that first sequence on the on the airplane i think is iconic too because and what the movie does what the franchise does really well is like plays into your fears right those first three with flying with being on the highway things that are out of your control right and um the third one being on a roller coaster um I, i feel like Did a really good job of going what are people afraid of like when accidents happen and then what can we you know whether because they're not a, a dude in a mask to your point eric like coming around and stabbing you like what's scarier is like oh an accident can happen even if it's like this ominous supernatural force that's after you right like um which plays into the goofiness of it all and it does get more looney tunes as it goes along and it plays into those gimmicks a bit more um but I do find those first kind of two or three movies to be pretty, pretty clever, even if they're not great. Like, I definitely understand that they're not for everyone. <laughs> like, um, but I feel like if you buy into the Looney Tunes cartoony nature of it, then they're pretty funny and can be pretty creative at times. And like, I enjoyed watching mostly all of them i think the 3d one the final destination which is the fourth one um was the only one that was hard to watch (laughs) like like it didn't hold up at all i can't even remember right now some of the is that the one with the movie theater at the end and stuff like that yeah um i just i don't find that one to be very interesting and it plays so much into that 3d gimmick that um it just it gets even goofier with the shit coming at the camera and then when you're watching it in 2D at home it's just like well that's well, the dream of- sequences right cuz yeah. cuz the 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 formula that kind of
1: happens throughout this cuz if you're watching them back to back to back you start to notice like what they hone in on in terms of like with the writers what they're going for it's like okay so you have somebody that can see what's happening before it does you you have the person that can kind of create or cheat death and usually that brings a group of other people into the same situation where you know their their time is up but they're able to escape it because this one person intervenes and then slowly but surely the way that they're killed off is based on how they would have been killed off in the event so whether it be a plane whether it be a roller coaster whether it be on the highway um and so it's even more brutal and disgusting and what happens within the course of you know One by one, you know, people being picked off, teenagers mostly, but some teachers and adults as well and things like that, is then you have someone that dodges uh, the bullet, somebody that kind of is able to cheat death again. And then you think, oh, well, that person's going to be fine. Uh, And then usually by the end of it, there's three people left. And then, you know, you think, okay, well, they're out of the woods, but actually, uh, uh, uh they haven't escaped death. Death was just toying with them the whole time. So they have this formula that kind of it repeats over and over again. And I think the biggest problem with what you're saying with with four is is the the gimmick or or sort of the you know the added edition of the 3d because it is that kind of 3d like if you're watching this on youtube it's like literally like oh oh um but it just doesn't work weirdly as well some of the stuff you know it's not as bad as i was expecting it to be because you do have some language and commentary that can be dated of the time uh or, or or of the time pardon me and i think when you're watching something like this or these movies you think okay what's going to be like maybe a little bit uncalled for in terms of dialogue i think 4 is really the one that kind of has you know has this racist neo-nazi character right. and yep. they give enough of who that character is just by the visuals but then they start dropping racial slurs and it's like, okay, this kind of movie doesn't go too hard, right? Like, yeah, or yeah. or even in three, the one of the funniest things in three, not because I'm laughing at the tragedy of it, but I'm laughing that this movie has the gall to do it, is where you find out that uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is kind of the big star um, to kind of have a, a great career, uh, you know, come out of this in part three is that one of the characters finds out that nine eleven was a final destination death thing oh, and they show a photo canon. of it <laughs> yeah, yeah like, and it's just yeah. like okay i don't know especially because it was, was 2007 soon. yeah <laughs> like
0: really maybe too soon like i could see them playing into that now but even then it would doesn't feel like in good taste right no but like, it does not I, it's just i could see them going to every big tragedy that's happened and, and say that they were like a final destination canon event or something and it's like yeah ugh, maybe don't touch real real you can play on those real fears but maybe don't play into real tragedy right yeah like that i i agree with that um maybe stay away from that but overall had a good time made me eagerly maybe not eagerly anticipate <laughs> but like look forward to the new one that that's being developed right now so um i forget the guys that pitched but there was that story that went around where when they did their pitch meeting for it they did like a it was like a Zoom or like what Eric and I are doing right now. And they created a fake video that they played that made it look like what was happening during the interview where like a Final Destination thing <laughs> happened to them while they were on the Zoom call. Um, but I, I'm curious how you do that movie today, how you make it fresh or interesting or, or elevated or anything like that. Because I do think the fifth one, while not a great movie, I think the twist really does help it. Um, at the end where it's like, oh shit, it spoilers everyone. Uh, It takes place before the first Final Destination movie. It's the events that lead into that that first uh, plane crash. So, and I thought at the time, that was a really fun twist that I did not see coming. There's definitely clues throughout the whole thing if you watch it for a second time that um, it actually still holds up, I think. But um, yeah, a fun, silly franchise that I'm, I think... We've waited long enough. Like, I'm surprised they've waited this long before bringing it back. And it's been enough time now that I'm like, you know, new Final Destination movie coming coming out where we don't have to deal with bullshit gimmicks like 3D and stuff like that. Because even the fifth one had it was still in 3D. So it was still that period. And what I was saying earlier, was like I watched Saw 7, the final chapter. So Sorry, Saw 3D, the final (laughs) chapter as well. And it was in the early days of 3D where they were really making these as gimmicky 3D movies that were meant to be seen in 3D in a theater. They did not know how to light anything. They did not know how to use the technology properly. So none of those movies really hold up. Uh, When you're watching them at home. Um, So now when you strip that all away, much like, you know, I know you didn't like the movie, Eric, but something like Saw 10, where you get to enough time in between, even though Spiral and Jigsaw kind of whatever Um, you when you revisit something after so much time, you can look at it with a fresh pair of eyes or try to do something differently, even though you have a lot of the same creative teams coming back, but um, and it can work or maybe it doesn't for certain people, but uh, I'm curious to see what they do when they bring that franchise back. And it was just kind of fun having it on in the background as me, me and you ate McDonald's and Tim Hortons <laughs> just, and kind of made fun <laughs> of them as we were watching. So that was a good time.
1: Yeah, it it, it was. And, and you do, Feel like this, because this was also a franchise that started as uh, an X File script and was retrofitted yeah. basically. And so, I, I think there is more to explore here when it comes to like, I, I it's just maybe the right filmmaker or the, the yeah. not even like it has to be a great movie, but it, there's something where it's like you feel like each one of these films has potential to really do something that's going to be both entertaining. But also, you know, tap into that anxiety that you have of of things being out of your control, but being in situations where we've all experienced in one way or another. And it's gonna be fascinating to see how that approach is applied to another movie that might actually have connections back to the rest of the franchise or or you know flight 180 again. And how do you play on people's fears, you know, is something like a flight, something like you know, highway yeah. traffic. What would that going be going to the nowadays? Dentist, things, right? like, yeah, yeah, like what is that? What you without
0: know, without like- being it's such a fine line, right? Like I don't think you want to do like the you know mass shootings or <laughs> no like, anything like that, right? Like you don't want to prey on something that's too too far, right? So it's like what are people afraid of now that, that maybe weren't afraid of back then or how we've changed to kind of um well, even terrorist attacks is. right like yeah. you mentioned
1: mass shootings but like anything like that where i think you almost have to leave that out of it because that's where you, you do end to, up I in think, the 9-11 yeah. like this maybe is not appropriate too for real this kind right? of even movie.
0: Though, you know a lot of this shit is too real too there are people who have had friends and family die on xyz but like yeah it's such a touchy area of like how do or you- even covid right like i feel yeah. like
1: they could be like oh well you get sick
0: by a yeah. disease or something like That's that. That's not or being exciting exposed. It needs to be like, it needs to be, you know, ridiculous and over the top. Right. So I, I, don't know what that is, but I'm curious to see, um, how they pull that off. Um, moving on, what else do we want to talk about? We, let's stick with spooky season. We're going to cover a lot of stuff on this show. Cause we haven't done an episode in a little while. Uh, we're going to talk about a kind of TIFF recap, I think at the end of the show, which will be our big thing. Uh, Eric and I went to New York and saw May, December, which we will have a review for, but we'll talk about our trip in general. Um, Talk about a final
1: destination moment with that. Yeah.
0: um, We also, um, uh, we can talk a little bit about the wonderful story of Henry sugar. Um, What else do we got? I watched once upon a studio celebrating the hundredth anniversary uh, of Disney. So there's been a lot, kind of going on. I'm also in spooky season, so I've been watching The Fall of the House of Usher as well as Goosebumps. Eric has some hot takes on on Goosebumps we can talk about. the hottest. Um so uh, there's a lot of stuff we can talk about. I've been playing Super Mario Wonder. I just started Spider-Man 2. Um so I've been gaming lately as well. Um so there's lots of stuff to kind of go over. But I guess since we were talking about Final Destination, let's stay in the spooky zone. Um, Eric, have you been watching anything else for Halloween? I mean, we can jump right into goosebumps and usher because um, I guess those are the two big kind of um, horror or horror Jason, you know, teen horror uh, shows that have dropped in the last couple of weeks on Disney plus and Netflix for the Halloween season, as well as we have things like the exorcist in theaters, uh, which I didn't go see. You can talk a little bit about that um so let's just talk about kind of halloween stuff since we're you know a week removed
1: yeah um so i think we could talk about goosebumps because i caught up with uh episode five i think five or six the other day the the introduction of slappy that would uh, be
0: six because they dropped the first six. five and then the sixth one just dropped i have only seen the first five episodes. so one no, episode. only one so yeah. i've watched more of usher we've kind of we've kind of went over to the my favorite the RB Flan- singer usher Flan- yeah, yeah 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 um <laughs> the flaniverse and we've kind of stuck there and i think we're going to see through usher before i move over to goosebumps cuz i feel like jumping back and forth was too they're too on two sides of the you know the spectrum when it comes to like the kitty teen horror corny kind of side of thing and the uh hyper serious yet You know, satirical, you know, flashy Flanniverse over here. So, I think we're going to stick with Usher. So, I can talk a little bit about that if you want to go into goosebumps, but no, no full spoilers, but just kind of give your overall thought.
1: No, 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 definitely not. But, but I do, I was kind of holding out a little bit of hope for this latest episode because Slappy is such an iconic, probably the most iconic character within. The you think so? can't,
0: yeah. I think yeah, I think yeah. Dolls Night general- of the Living Dummies, they've done like five or six books, right? Yeah, one, and one of more the more now when we were anthology
1: kids, episodes had Hayden Christensen in it. Um, <laughs> yeah. where at the end he uh, spoiler alert turns his head around and reveals that he's been dumbified. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so Slappy's always been that character within the canon of R. L. Stein that has always been kind of creepy but also engaging in that way that like Chucky is or some other doll type characters you know we have Megan this year which is one of the highest grossing original properties that's not based on pre-existing IPs so it does go to show you that creepy dolls even Annabelle you know have always been successful within the genre of horror and and so without getting into spoilers with that episode in particular it was a bit of a letdown. Um, because well, you felt it, like
0: that the whole five, six episodes I, you've watched, right? I
1: did, because basically what I feel that this thing is, is this is a script that was probably kicking around for a little bit or an idea that was... like It feels like an idea that was something that a studio executive or someone was looking at making like a Nightmare on Elm Street reboot of some sort, and they took that and they were like, hey, can we sort of skin this and add some sort of IP on top of it or meld it together. And for whatever reason, they were able to kind of do that with Goosebumps. And when you're watching it, I think Goosebumps is best as an anthology show. Um, And when you're connecting it within a world where you have angsty teens and sort of suspicious adults, all in this kind of overcast looking you know, fishing community Harbor town after a while becomes it's, it's a nightmare on Elm street. It's a little bit of, I know what you did last summer kind of all mixed together, but it doesn't really feel like it's actually doing anything more than what the sum of its parts are. And what I mean by that is that when you're watching this thing, it almost has this pretension of thinking that it's actually more sophisticated or above the quality of the storytelling in which it's kind of playing out, or that it's actually profound in how it's showing, you know, modern teenage life versus, you know, your parents' generation and how things repeat or how, you know, the impact of what your parents did, did has ramifications for you as a person. And when you're watching all of that, it just, it never comes through because the writing is so on the nose. The acting is pretty under like just the, the the radar when it comes to like how these characters interact with each other, but the performances themselves like are like go from, bad to worse they're very inconsistent and you can kind of say okay well you know teens are supposed to be written one way but it does feel like okay you have grown-ups writing teenagers and that yeah. comes through and even, even i with,
0: got that from the first episode too, and
1: yeah. even with the adults like it feels like okay like how do we play this in terms of like these characters have been through something but they're also concealing the truth and you're just Is like because it, oh, it's for break. kids
0: though is that i don't like, mind that I, I like
1: horror for kids yeah. it's I, like i think like a good horror movie for kids is a still be well
0: written gateway yeah. yeah
1: like I, I like i think a great example of 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 a horror movie for for kids that also works for adults is Coraline. i think Coraline yeah. is one of the great recent horror movies and I, I know recent is 2009 but in terms of how it doesn't play down to children it shows a sense of adventure mm-hmm. and fright there are stakes for these characters to go through you know buffy was one of those shows as well where like at the time that it was made it was a metaphor for you know teenage life in high school being the monster you know the creatures weren't the villains it was the experience And so I I think like that aspect of it is always worthwhile and exploring. It just kind of feels a little bit almost buying into itself a little too much where it thinks it's actually better than what it is. And there's some of the worst special effects on this show that I have ever seen um, specifically pertaining to worms. Um, And so you just like, I'm watching this thing and I want to engage with it and it's not, awful it's just very middle of the road horror and for a lot of people to be proclaiming this is you know a great adaptation of goosebumps when we already had a pretty good small town you know horror adjacent movie you know that first film with jack black is a lot of fun yeah um and, and rob letterman you know is a part of this franchise as well it just is like okay well why not try to just do another anthology show? Why not try to reboot it at this point? Because I mean, yeah. this does feel as much of a rip off as any other thing. You might as well, you know, redo this as a Canadian shot production again, <laughs> you know? Right. And, and it kind of feels like, okay, well, you know, are you afraid of the dark kind of did something like this recently on Nickelodeon they where they brought had, it back.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and similar where it was like, it
1: wasn't, well, it wasn't anthology. Like it had wasn't? like, um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, mm. Uh, Raul not Raul um, he's from Loki sorry it's been a tr- trying time so um, mm-hmm. uh, Brad Wolf the, oh, uh, the okay actor.
0: he's in it I didn't yes. know that. Yeah, yeah so yeah, he yeah. plays
1: like the, vil- like, the Pennywise Rafael vo- Casal, right yeah. Yeah, yeah so he plays like the villain on that t- like TV miniseries version of Are You Afraid of the Dark um, so yeah I was just I've just been kind of disappointed because a lot of people have been saying it's been great and it, it's kind of just like I mean, it's fine
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a different perspective. I, I understand what you're saying. I've only seen that first episode and I was back and forth on it where I was like, okay, I can maybe buy into that. Okay. This is for kids. This is going to be kind of have that corny vibe that the, that the series that we enjoyed in the nineties or two thousands, um, did, um, Except it's going to be modern, and and you know the writing's kind of not great. But then I I'm like okay, I like the idea of taking all the different Goosebumps stories and try to make a narrative out of them. And I'll get to the House of Usher, which is doing weirdly weirdly both of those shows coming out at the same time that are taking two iconic horror authors, R.L. Stein and Edgar Allan Poe, and taking their works and trying to make kind of a through line uh, with them, and 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 having a story that kind of connects all their other stories. I think is weird and interesting I mean we talked about we were when you came over we were doing some brainstorming for some other side projects we want to do and one of the ideas we were talking about was you know when movies two movies that are very similar come out around the same time right like a volcano and Dante's Peak and you know there's many other and I think fall of the house of Usher and Goosebumps weirdly kind of fall into that they came out at the exact same time anyways I'll get into Usher in a second Goosebumps I I liked the first episode, but I just, I I feel like it might be a Jurassic world situation where my, (laughs) my nostalgia is fueling my enjoyment for it. You know what I mean? Like, I loved, I fucking loved Goosebumps. I owned every single Goosebumps book. I read uh, them multiple times. I watched that uh, series over and over and over again as a kid. I played computer games. I like- Jeff Goldblum and Isabella Rossellini. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I fucking love that computer game, uh, the Horrorland one. And- So I I was very excited for this, especially when it started to get good reviews. I'm a little bit on that side of the positive side with those people. Again, I've only seen the one episode. Um, I enjoyed what I saw, even if some of the writing was really hokey and bad and that kind of like, you got to win the big game this Friday. (laughs) And you're like, Oh (laughs) no. Oh, like stuff like that. And it's just, you know, it's, it's not great, but I was like, okay. Uh, And even like things, nostalgia playing against it as well you see the haunted mask and i'm like that ain't the haunted mask (laughs) or you see the camera for say cheese and die and you're like that ain't the camera from say cheese and die and maybe it's because like i i have those iconic imagery from either the cover arts from from the books or from the the tv show that we love the the anthology series that when i see this stuff in the show i'm like I haven't seen it, the Haunted Mask. I haven't gotten there yet and things like that. But you see it and you know what it is, but there's something off about it. And I'm, I'm curious to watch the rest and see how it all kind of plays into each other and how they take slappy and and the haunted mask and you know the worms you mentioned and like all the kind of different goosebumps things and i know the last episode's titled welcome to horrorland or whatever which is probably where season two is going and that made me very excited um so i'm i'm curious to watch the rest but i i i'm not expecting much i guess which is maybe what what what's helping but um i enjoyed that first episode but i definitely understand where you're coming from. And then so Nevis and I were going to try to watch back and forth like one episode of Goosebumps, go back to House of Usher, um go back to Goosebumps. But I found myself after that first episode going it's too different and like it just <laughs> it's it's it will throw me off. So like let's pick one of them and and we'll stick with with one and um I went back to the Flaniverse and Mike Flanagan's one of those guys that um I didn't watch Midnight Mass for some reason. I just ended up skipping it. I don't know if well it, that's and- another
1: show as well that kind of falls into weirdly the Goosebumps thing right now, where it's a group of kids who are kind of banning together, and you know, it's it's more to do like facing death. But it Are also you thinking has. Thinking Midnight
0: that- Club or Midnight Mass? Oh yeah, sorry, did- Midnight so, Midnight yeah. Club.
1: Yeah, so so this is the confusing yeah. thing now. Midnight Club because it also has Heather Langenkamp in it from, yeah, a and Nightmare he on produced
0: Street. and wrote it, but then only directed two episodes. Where yeah. Midnight Mass was the last thing where he directed all of it. That um, is very
1: good. I actually like Midnight Mass quite a bit.
0: So. But then Bly Manor, he only wrote and directed one episode, and then the rest he did not. He only produced it. So he's kind of, um, and then he's gone and done, you know, movies like Gerald's Game and, and Dr. Sleep, obviously, and and before that, Ouija, Hush, Oculus, uh, and things like that. Um, I like Mike Flanagan a lot. Uh, we've talked about this off air, too, where he's become kind of, you know, when I say the Flaniverse, he's become his own thing for netflix right like he he has i compared him to ryan murphy lately and and that might be a slight sort of but like and nothing against ryan murphy ryan murphy's just not really my my cup of tea but um and i was worried with house of usher because i i was excited for it i liked its weird kind of tone throughout the trailers i really love haunting of hill house uh blind manor i was mixed on i liked a lot of it i really thought the last episode was fucking horrible um and really kind of left a sour taste in my mouth um and then that's probably why i didn't watch midnight mass or even midnight club um but i was excited for this and you know i not that i'm a huge fan of edgar Allan poe weirdly my my connection to him is with the simpsons with the raven and the treehouse of horror but then and the john cusack movie um yeah um which i don't think i ever saw <laughs> um, but I know his short stories, and I've read some of them—Telltale um, Heart and and, and other things—and um, I like the idea of taking Edgar Allan Poe's stories and kind of weaving them into a narrative. And obviously, the fall of the House of Usher, the House of Usher has been made into numerous, uh, you know, films and and different things like that. But this modern kind of take on it with the Flanagan cast and his vibe, um, I was excited for. So we've watched um three episodes now and i didn't know how like i really like a lot of it and i'm realizing after episode three that i'm like really really enjoying the show i think it's great um i love you know his you know tour mentality of bringing back everyone and having the same tropes and the same things and the same look and feel in, in all of his shows. And um, I think we talked about, you t- had a great tweet about Bruce Greenwood because everyone's been talking about this show. Um, um, you, you watch double jeopardy where I've been watching <laughs> House of Usher, uh, but Bruce Greenwood's been so good in all the Flanagan stuff. And he has an amazing monologue in episode three that we just finished about, uh, lemonade. Um, and it's basically they modernize this story. Um, of you know, uh, Roderick Usher being actually the CEO of a a pharmaceutical company, and they're corrupt, and they're a crime family. Um, and basically they're on trial, uh, for all the horrible things he's done as the CEO of this pharmaceutical company. And then his, um, basically this isn't a spoiler. You know this in the first episode that someone is going to rat. Um, on the family during the trial like go on the stand and, and like rat on the family and then all of this the his children because he has numerous children and it, you think it's going to be one of the children that are going to be the rat start mysteriously dying one after another um, during this trial in mysterious accidents and things like that which reminded me of final destination weirdly enough so it all comes full circle um so you know it's loosely kind of edgar Allan poe's short stories and even you know the house of usher being the main thing um i think it's stylish it's uh it's strange it's scary it's funny um it's tonally all over the place um it's it's very. It looks very expensive. It's taking itself very seriously while also being satirical. I think it's wonderful social commentary on greed and the rich um, and what it does to you and what it w- does to others and what you do to others. Um, I think it has what Flanagan is so good at um, in his horror, which is there are jump scares, but it's more atmospheric in the sense of you know, there's been a ghost standing in that doorway the whole time, and then you see it move out of frame right at the end of a conversation, and it's not really it's it's disturbing and, and scary once you notice it, but it's not gonna fucking do a loud noise and jump at you. That shit still happens and it gets you. <laughs> um, but I've been enjoying the hell out of this. I felt like it's succession meets uh final destination, meets the conjuring, meets whatever horror ghost. Story you want to throw in there. Well, um, he's a big Stephen King guy,
1: too, yeah. right? Like, he's always kind obviously of
0: obviously with Dr. Sleep and and, and Gerald's, Gerald's game, game. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, but even Midnight Mass feels a lot like a Stephen King adaptation, even though it isn't. And so, like, him adapting Edgar Allan Poe or his works or taking those works as the basis for that makes sense because obviously Stephen King is a student of Edgar Allan yeah. Poe as well. So it's, yeah. I, Flanagan's trajectory, his career has been so fascinating because you're we're we're getting to that point now where you're taking you know established filmmakers and you're allowing them to create you know their own universe, their own Empire. Um, you know, you think of of him, and then even more recently as well with someone like Taylor Sheridan, right? Where yeah. like guys like that have a very specific aesthetic. As soon as you mention their name, mm-hmm. you kind of get what they're going for. And you mentioned Ryan Murphy and, and Sandra Rhimes and, and people like that have all built cottage industries in a way that it's like, you know they they're doing really well, and where they started is such a different thing from where they are. And like Flanagan, like even though maybe he's not a household name in the way that you say Stephen King, he might or, be
0: now, dude. Like but I don't think so. I don't this, think so. Like, I think
1: the average person probably doesn't know. Him by name, I. I they I think, know
0: him as the guy who did Haunting on Hill House. Yeah, right? or like, one
1: of the se- like they've probably seen one of the series, but but to know the name is a different thing altogether. That's almost hard to achieve in itself. I think the closest. Guy I think he's now, close though. I think Peel is closer. I think Jordan Peel. Like well, yeah, I think if you say Jordan Peel or or like yeah, Get think, Out, people know who that is. I think is. we
0: underestimate the power of netflix dude like i really i i really do and you mentioned all those other people and i think television and the amount of people who watch this fucking stuff like i think flanagan is on that same level as all those other people you just mentioned and i think and even tyler know. perry right like yeah those guys tyler perry shonda rhimes like yeah, all those people like uh, people know them ryan murphy like you know when a show is done by them and flanagan i would have never guessed uh, would be one of those guys. But after um, Hill House was such a hit for Netflix, like, yeah, maybe they don't, but Flanniverse is a term, like a literal term that But it's introduced. an online term, though. Yeah, like, I get I know, it online, dude,
1: but-, but I think if you go up to the average person, you say, do you know who Stephen King is? They'll say, yeah, he's a horror author.
0: Sure. Do you know who uh, Michael I, Flanagan I is? I, I don't disagree with you there. But I, do, uh, I but-
1: do agree with you, though, where, like, if you were to list one of those shows- guaranteed
0: they've heard of it or I just they've watched if- it and they would watch anything that that guy does yeah like yeah they might not know him by name but they're like oh the guy who did hill house is his new show is coming out and i think he only needs maybe and i think usher from what i've seen online like people absolutely love it and um i i guess horror is a weird thing because it is still niche because not everyone it's not niche like it's very widespread everyone many many people love horror um but i still feel like it is it's not like our parents are maybe watching hill house and things like that like a, a, again but even taylor sheridan you brought him up and like yeah now I your don't parents know, are watching yellowstone <laughs> right and i didn't even i loved taylor sheridan when it came to his movie stuff right and like yeah. me and you have always been not slow on the um tv side of things but you were more movie guys than than tv guys so taylor sheridan like i loved him writing sicario hell or high water wind river like when he started directing stuff as well um i i was all in on him and i was like oh anytime he has a new movie coming out whether he wrote it or or directed i'm i'm going to be there i i even those who wish me dead i didn't love but um Then he makes Yellowstone and I just didn't watch Yellowstone. It just wasn't. I'm like, eh, whatever." And now you got Yellowstone, Mayor of Kingstown, 1883 Tulsa King, 1923 Special Ops Lioness, Lawman Bass Reeves, like <laughs> like um like Landman. <laughs> like that's a show that's coming out. And you're like, "This is the know, MCU I,
1: for middle-aged yeah, white people."
0: I know. And it's wild. Like he's become his own like empire for for Paramount making this Yellowstone universe, as well as all these other kind of like shows that sound like they would have been on CBS like 10 years ago, that you're, you know, that's how like, what was it? Not NCIS, what was the other? Well, one that's that, the, those like, are the, the, yeah, the,
1: the CSIs, the yeah. NCISs, the FBIs, yeah. you know, like TV for the longest time when it came to, you know, network television, a lot of it was owned by Dick Wolf. You know, Dick Wolf still has a a huge hold on on things with Yeah. yeah, And the FBI series and uh, the Chicago shows and stuff like that. But um, yeah, like Taylor Sheridan has become the, you know, I mean, talk about uh, the the flaniverse. This should be called the flannel
0: verse. Yeah, <laughs> with, yeah, yeah. with
1: everything that that Taylor Sheridan's done, and you know, I want to like the guy because I I like a lot of the stuff that he's written and he's directed that you just mentioned. But he, you know, recently said some shit about yeah. you know the, the str- uh, strike the that was and, you know yeah. very much. Oh, I know. You I had I... the producer to say, um, mm. and it's just unfortunate when you know the the, the creatives don't support their um their people and that always kind of sucks but like even you know with kevin costner talking about in stallone those are guys that have always been film sort of uh centric uh actors and they kind of are at least with costner like i know he's trying to kind of get out of yellowstone um with
0: him he left it yeah
1: yeah he's he was talking about like it's just like the hours because television's a different beast in terms of filmmaking you know with with movies you know you're kind of there for a a few months and then you're gone and then you kind of move on to the next thing or take a break but it's it's like just this cycle of like you you know you shoot episodes then you know you wait for the next season and then you're shooting a whole bunch more and it's 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 you know, it's the stamina of like continually shooting all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, especially when it's popular and and all of those shows, I think seem to do pretty well. Like it seems like they're all channeled into oh, yeah. Paramount Plus in particular. So you can watch one thing or another, but yeah, It's, the, keep, the- it's
0: single-handedly keeping Paramount Plus afloat probably. Yeah. Um, but anyways, back to House of Usher. Yeah, I just, it's wild that Flanagan's been – that and he was able to sign he signed a deal with amazon now so he's jumping from netflix over to amazon and i know he has the dark tower tv rights if they want to ever try that again but i mean if anyone's going to do it like house of usher does have that like it, it does feel big it does feel massive it does feel important like on the same level as a succession or as any big like big premier title for any network and it's just wild that it also has some very intense horror elements to it and it is the weirdest um, like not very many people we talk about this all the time Eric not very many directors and writers can balance tone like and especially jarring tonal shifts, where at one moment it really does feel like I'm watching an episode of Succession, and then at one time it feels like a Hill House, and then another time it feels like this weird satirical comedy um and and all of it like it's it literally is all over the place, but weirdly all works together. And, um, I'm shocked. I'm only three episode in like, but what I've heard from everyone is that it's great. And I think like Bruce Greenwood's amazing, you know, his regulars. I love seeing Henry Thomas, like get a resurgence strictly from Flanagan. We talked about like a lot of these people who work with, Guys like you know a Ryan Murphy or a Mike Flanagan or, or whoever, or they even kinda, Adam Sandler, right? Yeah, like they latch on to those guys and they don't do anything else but work with that guy, right? Like, well, so even with Wes Anderson, right? Yeah. Like, there's
1: a there's a there's a group of people that seem to always be consistently gainfully employed by the creator or the filmmaker, and it's always, I guess, maybe most interesting as you move on to see who's brought in, who's not a regular to see how that dynamic changes things. Like Rahul
0: Kohli came in for midnight mass and he's also been following you have um, Mark Hamill um, in house of usher. And um, I actually think he's quite good. Like he's um, you forget Mark Hamill looks like Timothy Spall on that. Yeah, he does. Um, But I think he's, he's really good as this quiet fixer lawyer and like um you know nevis didn't even realize it was mark hamill until a couple episodes in i'm like no that's luke skywalker and she's
1: what's like, the ham doing here <laughs> um uh
0: i so i love seeing kind of you know his regulars um kind of pop up and and do really really well carla uh uh gugino um is is great um and yeah bruce greenwood's amazing so yeah i, I highly suggest everyone go check it out it's it's been uh, very enjoyable, and I can't wait to watch more. It's just there's too many things, Eric. Too many things. Like there's tons of video games out right now. Um, there's another review we want to get done, but we'll probably have to wait till Eric gets back. Is um, uh, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon? Um, I just, I just haven't had time. I know we don't want to get into the the length debate, um, and I have had time, but I've just. A three and a half hour movie. I gotta muster up the energy for, and I haven't yet. So <laughs> I just, no matter who, it could be my favorite filmmaker of all time. Three and a half hours. I gotta go. Okay, uh, when are we doing this? And then I haven't found that right time. Will that right time be tomorrow? It might be. Will I go see Nightmare before Nightmare before Christmas? Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah. In 4DX. You got yeah, it. I'll go do that instead so um because you're not a big knows. fan have you seen a nightmare before christmas all the way through i haven't so it's in theaters right now mm-hmm. and nevis 30th and I, anniversary nevis and i were like you know what if i'm gonna see it for the first time all the way through why not see it in 40x so the way it was meant to be seen uh but no nevis and i do want to get out and see um killers of the Flower Moon. We're also uh Eric and I will have a review for The Killer and May December. Priscilla. Um, Priscilla. So there's gonna be lots of stuff coming up. We just, you know, took some time off due to what Eric mentioned at the beginning of the episode, as well as I'm busy with school. I had midterms and, and stuff like that. So um as we get into the fall, I guess the benefit of TIFF this year, the which the fall I guess of could, the house of Usher. <laughs> uh, I guess is a good segue. Um Is that we still have a lot of movies to watch this fall and a lot that I'm very excited for. Um, A lot that we just mentioned, things like Poor Things, All of Us Strangers, um, Saltburn, uh, Napoleon. Uh, There's a lot that did not play TIFF that we are very excited for. Um, And I think that's a good segue into let's do a quick recap. We haven't done this yet because we haven't really done an episode since TIFF. Um, But if you saw our coverage this year there, we have lots of reviews up on untitled movie reviews that you can go search, just search TIFF 2023 untitled movie podcast and you'll find them. Um, It was a bit of a weird year. Uh, I'd say we didn't see as many movies. We still saw a good amount. We didn't review as many just because it felt like an off year. Um, and it just felt something felt off this year. You know, it, it came at a good time because I started school and, and that's maybe one of the reasons we didn't record as much and things like that. But, um, I do want to talk a little bit about how we felt, uh, of TIFF this year. So Eric, I'll pass it over to you. Um, now we're about a month removed from, you know, ending TIFF. Um, how are you feeling looking back on it? I think it probably was one of the most disappointing years
1: in um, the history of the festival. And it's, you know, the, the strike, the strikes are one thing, and I get that. And and it was still wonderful to see the public come out for a lot of these movies, even if there wasn't acting talent, you know, um, to really kind of draw people in, you know, the film's when they played, they played well. you know, the holdovers, specifically like watching that in in a theater with people. Um, and being a public film festival really kind of showed you like how a movie can engage an audience and really, you know hit the right tone of comedy, but drama and sort of you know melancholy all at once and within sort of the play. We have a review for that movie. but listening to how people reacted to that film, really did remind me of like, oh, yeah, like, you know, people are still going to come out for a festival like this. But I think the greatest challenge TIFF has moving forward, because this year was the year of FOMO, you know, where it wasn't TIFF FOMO, it was festival FOMO outside of TIFF, where every other film festival seemed to have not only a large majority of what was playing at TIFF, but films that you would think would probably play at Tiff in any other year, and what was the deal behind that? You'll never know for a fact what you know the 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 deal making was, or the behind the scenes, and 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 who said what, and what was going on. But I think between people leaving, programmers leaving, um, Bell leaving, um, or, or parting ways with with Tiff. And, you know, hearing, you know, actors signing petitions for them to, um, you know, get rid of of RBC RBC Mm -hmm. as one Mm -hmm. of their major sponsors on top of the strikes. But then, you know, you think like, okay, well, why didn't a film like Poor Things play at TIFF? Because it's played at every other single film festival during the fall. It played Venice. It played New York. uh, It's playing Vancouver. It's, you know and you're like okay well a lot of yorgos lanthimos movies do play tiff the only one that didn't was was the favorite and then you're like okay well that that is weird because you know the one film festival it didn't play at was tiff and you're thinking like well okay maybe it's divisive maybe maybe it's something where like uh searchlight searchlight pictures didn't want it to play because it might polarize an audience but every audience that's seen the thing says that it's great and it's like, okay, well, maybe maybe it isn't that. And then you look at something like Priscilla. Well, Priscilla shot in Toronto and specifically Etobicoke. So you think, okay, well, you have a movie directed by Sofia Coppola, the second film that she shot in Toronto, because her first film, The Virgin Suicides, she also shot in Toronto. That also played a majority of film festivals It's playing what Sudbury the the Sudbury Film Festival.
0: I think that's just timing because I know I know, but it's still it's still
1: kind of a big film. It's a big movie to get. So you're thinking like again, like what's what's going on there? And we've seen the movie, and we can talk about it. We're not embargoed on it, you know. There's going to be a conversation had when it comes to. I think Elvis fans are going to be angry because Hmm. they'll probably feel like they're being attacked as much as elvis is being criticized in the film in that movie elvis is shown for what he is he's a predator and pedophile and it's not a confrontational sort of perspective on it because it's always from the point of view of priscilla but there is an aspect of the filmmaking that still tells you yeah she was 14 he was 24 do the math and this was never appropriate. And you can say, well, it was a different time. Well, no, that doesn't work like that. And and you know, so I wonder we'll if there was
0: Priscilla soon. I but wonder yeah. if there was
1: controversy <laughs> there. So sure. so something like that's another film. Then you have Michael Mance Ferrari, which played New York, Venice, you know, and then All of Us Strangers. It it just it kind of felt like, okay, well, why are all of these movies? Not playing, where a lot of these filmmakers have played TIFF in the past, and it just felt like I think actually Kyle brought this up really it, kind of perfectly. It, it almost felt like TIFF was left holding the bag, and it was like weirdly like, oh shit, we have a festival in a couple of months. We need to gather as much as we can now. Um, yeah. You know, and there was great films that we saw, a lot of which we saw beforehand, whether it be Perfect Days or The Zone of Interest, Um, you know, The Boy and the Heron was a big deal for Tiff, but
0: it also ended up playing everywhere so yeah
1: and especially new york that got it in not even like in one of its um specialty programs but just playing i still think a a world
0: premiere for the opening night still a pretty big deal for that movie and you know they had we hated it but next goal wins you know obviously american fiction was that movie that they championed the most which won the people's choice award yeah and and was that one film that it's probably shown up at a couple different festivals but um, it started at tiff but yeah started at tiff so i think that's probably the reason why it won they want to push something that they had at the festival and it was like an exclusive kind of thing um yeah i thought the holdovers was wonderful i i thought zone of interest was phenomenal you know um it it did have some you know bright spots. I enjoyed Quiz Lady and I enjoyed Dream Scenario and um, I had a blast watching Aggro Drift with you and whatever the hell that was. <laughs> um, you know I had some disappointments too. It had some okay movies and like so you know Tiff is always that. It always has some good stuff. It has some okay stuff and it has some really bad stuff. Um, but I agree with you that it usually has some high profile stuff that you you were very eager to see and i found like this year was the year where i was like ah, i could miss that or i if i don't get tickets to that that's fine and and then we were trying to be put a positive spin on it by saying, okay, well maybe it'll be the year of discovery. Maybe it'll be a bunch of movies that we weren't paying attention to that Tiff found those, you know, diamonds in the rough or those, those hidden gems that, that other festivals didn't see or didn't want to program or, or, or Tiff had them first, but that like I felt band. like, yeah, but oh God, the <laughs> goes away. They like, they found oh, people, vanity projects from from directors and 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 from actors those. turned directors yeah sorry yeah. actors turned directors um so anyways going back to my like hidden gems or diamond in the rough thing like i don't feel like we really got that like other than maybe uh american fiction being that one movie that people you know it was programmed late and um it won the people's choice and i don't think it was on many people's radar for being like a you know i guess on that level um, and I know you didn't really love it, Eric, and I thought it was pretty good. Um, but I, I don't; it hasn't really stuck with me that much. Um, I I didn't see that, like I didn't hear from people being like, "Oh, fuck, you missed this. This was excellent." No one's talking about this, or like everyone's talking about this. That like because it kind of came out of nowhere. Like, uh, so while we might go, well, it's good for the smaller movies, or it's good for the international films, or things like that. Like, I just don't feel like any of that stood out really during the festival so i just felt like this year kind of came and went um i had a good time doing it with you and we still saw some good stuff that will we got sick (laughs) that actually played a lot into it too where eric and i did get you know sick right at the beginning of the festival and then basically lasted until the festival started dying down and by that time we were we were spent um so yeah it was um it's a weird year where I like, I don't really even have that much to say, right? Like, we put out over 10 reviews, and you know, there's things that we didn't do reviews for, like, um, we can kind of go through now, like, um, La Camera, Sleep, um, we did do a Dumb Money review, yep, uh, yeah, the well, Teacher's yeah. Lounge, the feeling that the time for doing something has passed, How to Have Sex, um, did we do a review for Lee? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Okay. Quiz Lady. Um AgroDrift, we actually never did a review for. Um uh, Pool Man, which we can talk about a little oh, bit. God. Mother God. Mother Couch, uh American Fiction, Fingernails, Memory. Um, and those are that's it. So like we did about half of the reviews we we did and half we didn't. Cause I ended up seeing just over 20, 20 something films, 25 maybe. And we maybe did 12 or 13 reviews. Um, so, but out of those, like, I don't even need to talk about most of them. Like, I, I don't know. There's some good stuff in there. I think there's some stuff to like in the teacher's lounge and um, that I thought was interesting. Um, uh, but things like how to have sex and, and even quiz lady, which I really enjoyed, but it was such like a, like a, a fleeing watch. It just hit me at the right time. It was enjoyable. It was a popcorn movie. It was a comedy. I laughed. Never really gonna think about it ever again, right? Um, Knox goes away was a miserable experience. Pool man go. Uh, those two movies we brought up of being like director or actors turned directors with Michael Keaton and and Chris Pine, and Knox goes away uh, was just aggravating aggravatingly boring throughout the whole thing where i was just waiting for something to happen and it's just um just a a drab ugly looking movie um it's it's very
1: digital looking and it also just plays into the cliches of the hitman genre right you know it's it's always about a hitman seeking redemption or you finding uh an interest in the anti-hero, you know, and you rooting for somebody to get away with it. And it kind of plays both sides of the coin for that movie. And it just, it is really why there are balloons (laughs) coming up. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) uh, I love Michael Keaton to death. um, And I still do. And I, I I think he actually gives a really good performance in that movie, but the problem with it, it's, it's like he should have handed that film off, To somebody else to direct because it's so flat looking like that first shot of the movie where he's picking things off the table, but he forgets to take his watch and that watch that he forgets to take. It's like, oh, look, it's like he only has this much amount of time left before his memory completely fades. Time is his enemy you forgot Get it, <laughs> and he just and like then... give me. And James Marsden is absolutely terrible as his son in that movie. And he has this line about when you were you were you weren't a bad dad. You were you were good. You you know what? You let me have pool uh, pancakes in the pool.
0: Oh my and he's god! Just like, what is that? <laughs> what does that even mean yeah he's awful so um, that's what i'm gonna
1: do in aruba i'm gonna have pancakes in the pool
0: pancakes in the pool man yeah chris pine went down like oh three, my three notches dude from like kill me he, he was a top hollywood chris and here's the thing we'll we'll give him a pass because dungeons and dragons honor among thieves is way better than it should be and, and he's, he's so good in that movie he's great in that movie and i love chris pine uh, but Poolman Man is so fucking bad that they kind of like almost... It, Pool Man's so bad that it almost uh, ruins how good <laughs> Dungeons & Dragons It almost is. just ruins your ranking like, of the Chris's. I know. Hemsworth <laughs> almost bumped up ahead of him, man. Like, Hemsworth in a close second for me. Um, and I, I Hemsworth just, is like, I remember I was in rush. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to direct anything soon. Um, but it's real bad i left about what 20 minutes half an hour in and then and you, you left
1: at the best and worst time because yeah. one you left at the best time because it wasn't going to get any better and it gets worse and what it's basically doing is it's kind of taking a, a modern day approach to chinatown you know the yeah. roman polanski uh, robert town written neo-noir and what it's doing is it's filling it with platitudes and speaking about you know Um, political correctness of the time and trying to be something more sensitive and thoughtful but what it actually is is just embarrassing. I've never been so ashamed of Chris Pine (laughs) as an actor and director and it's one of those the things. First where it's actor like,
0: to get canceled for just making a bad movie. Yeah, <laughs>
1: like, yeah. And, you know, I didn't love Anna Kendrick's Woman of the Hour, but you look at that movie and you look at what she does as a filmmaker and how she plays with the sound design of, you know, this serial killer on a dating show um in the 1970s. And it's like, yeah, it's not a fully developed film as a director, but there are things in there where it's like, okay yeah, I hope she continues to direct and I hope she continues to kind of like play with some of these techniques, but also kind of create her own voice. Like, I think she has something there. Where with this, I was watching and I was like, Chris, please never touch a camera again. Don't even touch your phone on a camera. I can't let you go near it. It's This is so bad. But when you left, it also became fun because we were at a and i screening for this. And by the, when you left... The audience, which was filled with critics and industry people, started to actually have a midnight madness style reaction they start, like to yelling the at film the, yeah yeah, there were people like, give me a fucking break <laughs> <laughs> people were laughing out loud and just revolting against uh the film and rightfully so because it is unimaginably so self involved in thinking it's leading this great crusade and doing something and saying something meaningful and all it is is trash <laughs> i said my yeah. my review is just literally poo comma man like it's just like it's
0: poo so man. It's, it's, poo it's man so, is hilarious that's a great subtitle or, or whatever it's long so line. bad
1: Matt uh, uh, it's, it's so really bad. bad there's <laughs> not enough pine salt to, to clean the pool with this one keep all of that
0: shit in um, the other thing I do want to talk about and then I'll let you maybe call out anything that you saw that you want to talk about but we should talk about agro drift a little bit because we didn't do an individual <laughs> review I don't know if it even needs to have its own review but like children
1: of go- love stars <laughs> of fun. (laughs)
0: what an experience that was so one compliment i will give aggro drift is the score legitimately fantastic i i I hope it drops i hope uh edge lord drops the the (laughs) soundtrack on apple music or something sometime soon um but aggro drift anyone who's listening doesn't know what it is harmony corinne um you know director of spring breakers and and many other gummo movies, and gummo the beach and bum beach bum recently um made this i don't even want to call it a movie uh this experience which is um i i said the easiest way to describe it was like if your 13 year old cousin took a, a bong rip and someone let him make a terrence malick movie and like it's it's this weird meme uh meme in the way of a meme like an internet meme um, movie that looks like it's made with you know PlayStation Two uh, graphics, and it it's shot all in infrared, and it makes absolutely no fucking sense. And the dialogue—it um, sounds and,
1: like it's from a Terrence Malick movie, like yeah. the whispery kind of mother, father, yeah. you wrestle inside me, but the yeah. poetry is almost even more stilted i love my
0: family (laughs) i love my family and then it's just like a a woman with a gigantic ass just working (laughs) like and you're just like it's it's obscene and like ridiculous and it almost overstays its welcome but like it, it would be excruciating to many um I enjoyed myself. It's not a good movie, but it's one of those things that needs to be seen to be believed that it's like someone I'm sure it's this, financed right? Like, um, but, and, but someone created this thing and whatever the fuck it is and whatever it's trying to say, if it's trying to say anything, but it is basically just punking everyone and just saying, I fucking dare you to leave motherfucker. Like, (laughs) I dare you. (laughs) Like, I dare you to sit through this whole thing. And, um, It's, I totally understand the people that. Fucking hate him and and hate the movie. I totally understand the people who love the movie and love him. I'm somewhere in the void, just floating, just like not even knowing what the hell's going on, and just kind you're, of you're you're the man it. wearing the
1: devil outfit, um, going
0: Aah! oh Remember that he just thrusts for like forty five seconds or longer. Like f- actually, it, it seemed like three to five minutes, just him thrusting with like machetes and like a speedo with a and the Travis
1: a, Scott's in it.
0: Yeah, his little lizard tongue la, 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 la. um <laughs> it's it was i i wish i went to that midnight madness screening because i'm curious what that audience how their reaction would have been but like even our press screening like it was not as many walkouts as i thought there was barely any there was only maybe a handful but um just uh i don't this movie will you'll only ever be able to see it on edgelord.com. Probably you'll have to download it. You'd probably have to go onto some fucking like LimeWire or fucking like old file sharing site. It seems like something that like when I was a teenager would be like, yo, you seen aggro drift, you'll download that shit on LimeWire, man. <laughs> like, and you fucking get high and eat Taco Bell in your friend's basement and watch this bullshit. Um <laughs> It's so bad and and not good, but like also amazing. So, um, there is a fly in my content. Yeah, I, I keep wondering. It, it's like, are
1: you trying I, to like create one of the, the no. graphics that keep coming up or I I can see it, but I but I can also just see you just doing this. But I think people know, yeah. So there's a fly that's attacking Matt. Maybe it's Jeff Goldblum. It's, I don't know. Yeah, I
0: I don't know. Um, but maybe. it is it is
1: one of those movies that like you just mentioned, you use the word dare. I think it is daring you to see like how far it can test your patience. Because yeah. there are parts that are very much hypnotic in your almost transfixed by it. And then there are other times where it becomes so repetitive that you are in agony wanting to leave because it just is 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 on this weird loop of doing the same thing over and over again with the visuals. But then it'll have this again video game-esque dialogue where it's so literal where you'll be talking to like a cowboy guy but and the guy's like this is my house and this is this is where you could live one day if you get all his money and he's (laughs) he's just like what is going on with this world and 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 the dialogue very much encompasses Harmony Corinne's sense of humor which is usually somewhere between absurd and offensive um and it does it in a way that is kind of playful but again it's also trying to be off-putting and telling you like Okay, well, like, how much longer are you going to sit here and and watch this? And and his company being called Edgelord Lord uh, is perfect because it does feel like it is edging you to you know leave or to, to invite you to actually say, hey, this is kind of interesting. And I, and I think it's both a bad movie in the sense of like it it's pretty much one note, but it's also fascinating because what he's doing, I don't think is actually any different than what someone like Jean-Luc Godard was doing in the latter parts of his life and his career, where he was almost experimenting with the form and trying to find new ways of telling a story. Mm -hmm. Like you look at goodbye to language or the image book or, you know, any of the movies that he was trying to kind of like almost really fade or intersect, you know, pop culture, but then take it in a way that was deconstructing it, but then, kind of warping it into his own vision and trying to create something new within that and find it. And if not, it doesn't matter because, you know, it's his own, you know, home movies in a weird way. And he's showing them to you and saying, you just spent two hours watching my crap, you piece of shit. Um, And that's also part of it because he's, you know, those guys are very flippant as well when it comes to, you know, testing their audience in a way. And so when you're watching something like aggro Drift, I was very much reminded of a lot of the Godard movies of, of, you know, the last little bit of his life where it does feel like he's trying to really test the people that consider themselves disciples or, or, you know, followers in a way. And so, I got to I got to hand it to him for that for for making this thing and sticking to his guns and creating one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen and I did laugh throughout and I was also, you know, completely flustered by it at times and and I still think like movies like Gummo and Julian Donkey Boy and Mr. Lonely are really underrated singular visions and, you know, you look at Spring Breakers and The Beach Bum and and both of those movies are very funny. And strange and sometimes sad. Um, And it's also just interesting looking right now where he's at, because, you know, in a lot of the interviews he had with, you know, this movie coming out and even having someone like Eric Cohen join the company who worked at IndieWire for so long, you know, he was talking about how he has regrets, um, you know, in kind of starting this new movement of independent cinema, You know, in the early 2010s with Spring Breakers and kind of being one of the first big movies or breakouts that A24 had, and feeling like he was responsible for partly creating a monster that's become like branding at this point. (laughs) And so, like, I I think there's some truth there, though. I think, like, like, there's some honesty there because, like, you look at A24, it's like A24 has released a lot of good movies. Um, Dix the Musical proves otherwise, but. you look at a lot of their films and a lot of their movies is great, but, but there's the odd time where I think they failed the film. And you look at something like as, as a case example and under the silver, like, like is a perfect, sort of case study where that movie played at Cannes the year it was supposed to come out, got delayed because it got bad reviews and, and they just dumped it. And it's actually not a bad little movie. I really and like that movie. An underrated film. And And it's like, well, the whole point of A24 was to create kind of a space for unconventional narratives. And now this year in particular, like we're hearing, okay, well now they're going to make studio films because they can't you know sustain themselves on the independent movies Art is
0: commerce man art is commerce yeah and never, even though they had
1: great success with everything everywhere all at once the consistency of that isn't always the same and where they've done really well i think in general and and this is probably why they picked up Halloween the rights to it is because they didn't no, it ended up oh they did
0: it ended up going to miramax oh that's so weird cuz
1: I'm um, thumbing up for for Miramax because I think Miramax should probably be disbanded, um, but. They've done so well with them now. Elevated horror, right? Yeah. Like I feel like with the Ari Aster I'm telling films, you
0: the soft, soft franchises up for grabs. Baby, talk to
1: um, uh, talk to me. Did really yeah. well for them this year. So, like, why not continue I, down that route if they want to go big? But but I'm sure they'll they'll pick some scripts that are Apple like really buying good. them makes
0: sense to me because Apple can afford to let them keep making the movies and losing money and keeping them as a brand almost
1: like uh, and they're already working with them already right because they've been releasing some of their films over there it just seems like a normal
0: like them trying to make studio movies doesn't make sense or like franchise movies i guess is what we're trying to say but like because they are a studio but like i i see them becoming like you know how Disney has Searchlight, where Searchlight movies don't necessarily have to make Disney money. They can invest money in them. They can bring in subscribers to Disney Plus and Hulu as well as release them in theaters. But um, I I really think that a twenty four might be good use to someone who has a little bit more money instead of being fully independent. Um, and you know they built a brand. Why not embrace the brand? Still make the movies that they. Um, are making, but give them the financial freedom to do that without having to worry about like, you know, pe- things people are talking about with the Scorsese movie this weekend is Apple financed it right with releasing it with Paramount and it costs almost $200 million. And, you know, it made, you know, uh, I think 20 something million domestically and 40 something million um, internationally. And that's one of the biggest openings of Scorsese's career. Um, but if a Marvel Sorry to do this, but um, if a Marvel movie, uh, at, you know, cost $200 million and made $20 million opening weekend, uh, you know, Kevin Feige would be crucified, <laughs> like yeah. it would just like so. But it's considered as a success because, you know, an Apple doesn't care if it's technically going to lose them money Cause that's not like the reason, you know, it's always to make money, but like it's really to get into business with Scorsese and, and, you know, and, and, you know, bring people into Apple TV when it eventually goes there. Cause they see Leonardo DiCaprio, they see Robert De Niro, De Niro. And, you know, ultimately they don't care if it loses money at the box office. It's, it's more than that. Um, but that's the kind of thing that I think is interesting is like, they've talked about that. it, You know, they know it's not going to make its money back. It might, it could, Pull a um uh Oppenheimer and end up, you know, being a big long adult um you know oriented movie that makes a ton of money, but that's but
1: it's also what you were saying before. I think what scares a lot of people from seeing it theatrically is the length. Yeah. And you know, Scorsese actually made a really good point, and I think it is a fair one, that you know, a lot of people are willing to spend five to ten hours watching a season or a miniseries but you know when it comes to a film that's over three hours long there is more of, i don't think that's apples to apples and i don't, I don't I, so. well i don't think it's completely apples to apples but i do think there is a, a sense of like what we choose to watch i think at home long is form completely narratives. different though like i really what, what's do it? what's
0: different I just think it's different of you sitting at home, being able to pause it. You're the comfort of your own home. You can go to the bathroom. You can get something to eat. When you're binge watching something, you're not sitting in one seat where it doesn't stop playing for five hours. So I don't. But there's a lot of TV now that's
1: playing theatrically, you know, for an episode or two and you're following it consistently. And, you know, there are some films that are, you know, being expanded into television. So, you know, when they get a, a, a Netflix release or when they get a streaming release, right? So, you know, I, I, it's it's such a weird world we live in right now <laughs> um, when it comes to what we pick and choose, because there are long Marvel movies where they're...
0: Yeah, I know, up to two and a half, three hours, you know, yeah. and, and I get that. and And I do think the three hour point is that point where you start to get people to go, is this just all right, let's let's fucking yeah. let's chill out here. Um, like I do think That two and a half hour mark people have gotten used to. No one gives a shit about two and a half hours. Like that's no problem. Three hours even you get people going, "Uh, all right. Okay. Then you go, well, what's an extra half hour? Who cares? I don't know. I think spending half a fucking work day sitting in one goddamn chair. I don't want to get into this debate. And like, I'm fine. Good movie is good movie. I'm going to see Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. Because
1: we saw Dicks the musical and that felt like it was two hours when it was under 90 minutes. I can't hear you now, but. Oh. Oh, you're back. You're yeah. Good. Okay, can you hear me
0: now? Yeah, yeah. You, I yeah, probably, all I
1: all I literally said was Dick's was under 90 minutes. Yeah. And that oh, yeah. felt like it it's, was two oh, hours.
0: Absolutely, dude. And I'm fully in the camp of good movie is good movie. It doesn't yeah. matter the length. As long as the movie's good, a three and a half hour movie is gonna feel like an hour and a half. And a bad movie that's an hour and a half is gonna feel like four hours, right? Like so ultimately it doesn't matter, but I don't like I think the whole um debate uh, of of runtimes and it's been everywhere obviously again because of this um I don't think the comparison of being like well, people at home have no problem binge watching six hours. I'm like it's not the same fucking thing. it's not it's completely different like watching six episodes in a row in the comfort of my own home uh where I'm able to take a break, I'm able to go take a shit i'm able to cook dinner i'm able to like without going fuck i'm gonna miss 30 minutes of fall of the house of usher because once i hit play it won't stop for how long are your shits (laughs) long um so that's what i mean like i i just like it's it's different and i don't think you can even make that comparison i think it's a lazy uh, a lazy cop out to be like well to be like, well, people watch six hours at home. It's not the same fucking thing. Yeah, okay. When your movie's on Apple TV, which most people will watch it, they're gonna be able to pause it and watch it in six fucking bursts because you didn't make it a mini-series, <laughs> you made it a, a fucking movie. And I'm like, more concerned about
1: your health now than anything. <laughs>
0: else. I, I like to watch TikTok, I'm reading a magazine, whatever. It takes a long time. 30 uh, it's not 30 minutes, <laughs> it's you know. Um, but you get my point though. Like I just, I think. Oh, I get one, your aggro drift. One one hour chunks where even between episodes, you take a here. Here's hey, who? Surprise, surprise! What I'm I'm about to bring up? A fucking intermission. <laughs> like, just why? It's already three and a half hours. Give that me I agree fifth, with. Give me fifth. All you got to give me ten minutes. You don't even got to give me fifteen. Like, just. 15 minutes. It's a countdown. You don't even need to turn the projector off. Just incorporate it in the goddamn thing. Put a fucking countdown on the screen and say, Get your ass back here in 15 minutes. Go stretch your legs. Go take a 15 minute shit. Go get some popcorn. <laughs> Whatever you want to go do. Just give me a break in between. And you can be like, Oh, your attention span or you can't sit somewhere. It's half a fucking work day at that point. At three and a half hours, four hours is half a work day. But like, It's just like if I got to go – a workday feels long and if you're telling me a half a workday I got to sit and watch something that's mentally fucking exhausting, give me a little bit of a break, which means an intermission. You know when movies used to be two and a half hours back, way back, they put a fucking intermission into it because they understood that that is – my brain can't. We're we're fucking morons. We everything is in quibby bur- bursts nowadays. <laughs> I'm like I can't fucking focus for four hours. of the
1: of the Flower like, Moon.
0: Everyone's watching TikToks. You think they can sit for three and a half hours and watch a movie? They can't. So why don't you make it easy for them? It's like oh well, we gotta have more show times. If you put fifteen minute intermissions every fucking forty five show times, we lose one show time. We'll figure your shit out. Like just put in intermissions in movies. Like I. I got to go on this rant i i'm all for make the movies fucking seven hours i don't give a shit just give me a little bit clearly you do
1: because you are giving 30 minute shits (laughs) Um, which is unbelievable
0: i i want to fight i'm gonna go once this sag strikes over i'm going on strike and i'm going give us goddamn intermissions i'm gonna be petitioning the intermissions i agree
1: with because the roadshow style of of movie you know it complemented the screening like you do have a minute to breathe and go out and collect yourself and, and come back and stretch your legs or in your case, go for a dump that maybe is a little too long and you might want to check with your medical physician, you know, in terms of like your health. But uh, it's, it's one of those things where I do feel like we spend so much time sitting and watching and absorbing a lot of garbage and a lot of stuff that does take up. Maybe it's not long in the sense of like, Oh, it's a couple minutes or it's a YouTube video or things like that. But all that time that it amounts is, is equivalent to even longer than a three hour, nearly four hour film. Like it's, it's, it's at that point where we're willing to watch, these bite-sized versions you mentioned quibi but like even youtube even you know instagram uh, tiktok and you know we look at our watch or our phone you know and say it's like 3 p.m and then it's eight. Oh, totally you know? and, and that loss time of time erases. yeah yeah you know is there and and yeah you can turn it off for a second or go do something else or 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 whatever, but it, it there's still that loss of time. And so it's like, well, why not just spend it watching a movie that's I'm with you. That you know long. I'm with you.
0: I, I'm fully about going to the cinema, putting your phone away, being, you know, enveloped and engrossed and transported into another world or you know, another time or another person's you know, whatever. But like I'm I'm fully your full attention is deserved. I I hate people who look at their phones and all that kind of stuff. Just you should be committing to this thing when you go there. And I'm going to do that when I see Killers of the Flower Moon. That's three and a half hours. And I'm excited to see it. Uh I I'm not Oh, it's that those two guys on that other podcast are like seeing a Scorsese movies, like going to the DMV Marvel movies. Hooray. It's like, all right, you guys like your, your own, your, your own. If people make fun of you, that's your own fault for saying shit like that. Like it's, I can like Marvel movies. I can like killers of the flower moon, all of that kind of shit. Like it's, The length and the runtime debate is exhausting, but I will always be on the side of intermissions. And every time we bring up the runtime debate, it will become the intermission debate. This is my thing. I'm going to single-handedly make this happen. I don't know how. (laughs) That's Uh, crusade. i will i will email uh, i will send emails uh, stand alone. it'll just be me with a picket in front of my local cineplex um and oh yeah like they
1: would really do anything yeah. i mean they're not willing to even change a fucking light bulb <laughs> let, let alone,
0: alone add intermissions so you, think you know it wouldn't, <clears throat> I, I just we're gonna wrap up the show in a second we're gonna finish mm-hmm. here um that was our tiff recap everyone <laughs> everyone who's aggro
1: drift i think brought Um, an interesting discussion to the table
0: uh, it made me aggro bro (laughs) um which led us into to the the runtime debate which i don't even think should be a debate just make whatever length you need to make your movie i and i i get that people are hesitant for making long movies for this reason um but I think we've shown with things Oppenheimer and, you know, many other things, even lately that, you know, people are willing to, if a mo- good movie is good, who gives a shit how long it is? um Just give me, give me a little break. You're going to sell more popcorn. You're going to, you're going to make more money. I think ultimately, even you're going to you have to buy more runtime. toilet paper. Um, yeah. <laughs> according like, to Matt. like ugh, God, for people like me, if I know, okay. Movies three and a half hours, hour forty five. I'm getting a little break. I I don't have to worry about bathroom breaks. I don't have to worry about anything. Like I keep going to bed, the bathroom break stuff, but <laughs> like I'll go get another cherry coke. I'll go buy. I'll fucking buy probably some M Ms. Like I'm spending more money at your theater. Like just I, I I don't. Once you put it at home, you don't need to give me the intermission anymore. Even though I think stylistically it's kind of interesting, but like. I can pause it. Like I said, I can break it. I can create my own mini series. It's, you know, it's my world now. It's not yours anymore. Scorsese. I can do whatever the fuck I want with your movie. When it's at home, I'm going to watch it. You sound like a horror villain. You know, Apple released it. I'm watching it on my goddamn watch later tonight. Like it's not, it's not up to you anymore. It's mine now, baby. Um, I just, Give me an intermission. This is, I hope clip this out, send it to everyone. Like I just send it to
1: Scorsese specifically. Hope
0: we get clipped out like those two guys that everyone's dunking on, on social media, (laughs) the new DMV. But they'll be like, look at the intermission boys over here. You can't even sit through a three and a half hour movie without taking a little break. Yeah. I'm a soft boy. I need a little break. <laughs> I need a little break. I need it. My brain needs a little break. My body is sore. Like even do though you, you, have do you, have you like you to break off your 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 Kit Kat bar as well. I do. I just bite into it like a psychopath. Um, Weirdo. I just like. Have you sat in a movie theater seat r- lately? Like, yeah, they're getting better. <laughs> you sound like, like Jonathan. First. It's like. It's like. It's, Have you, you know, shot in a the movie theater recently? If it's busy, I got some uh, clown beside me and like some guy leaning all the way back, like Darren Aronofsky in that one screening of The Lobster, where his head, like, I got a little pat his little bald head in front of me because he was <laughs> leaning back so far, and like it's just like it's not like you just you just give me a little break little 15 minute break little break it's just i can go out you can people who want smokers they can go have a fucking cigarette um, or vape um yeah vape go smoke a joint like if you're if you're high, a movie that long your high is running off halfway through not that you should get stoned and watch killers of the flower moon but like you know what i mean by that like any other movie like Agro drift have a little, little intermission yeah you can go have a little inter- intermission like it's just give us intermissions everyone that's all i'm asking all right everyone thank well, you Well, I, I think uh, there's
1: two <laughs> things you should be asking for because because I agree with you on the intermission. I don't disagree with you on that. I think that that's fine. I'm more than happy with that. The other thing I agree with, or, or you just mentioned there, that I think should be um, amicable or, or, or bring into this situation as well for a movie Vaping that is in over. theaters. <laughs> of course, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> is reclining chairs. Oh, I think yeah, the landmark seats at to, Landmark specifically got it down pat and like that is very attractive to somebody who if you're going to oh, spend three hours watching a film I have no sit the problem best best seat possible if
0: everywhere has Landmark seats like and I think more theaters are now I think even some cineplex have recliners and stuff like that so it is getting more comfortable I'm being you know I'm being an idiot everyone but like um I agree with you though like even my wife and I were discussing where to go see *Killers of the Flower Moon*. Is playing in IMAX Scotia Bank. I'm like, we could go to a landmark cinema because then I can fall asleep halfway through. getting <laughs> <Kidding>. uh, <laughs> In their wonderful chairs. This is but, the DMV um, clip. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, I invest in projection, invest in uh, sound, invest in good comfortable seating, invest in your presentation. And invest in intermissions uh and i, and I just forgot the most cin- important one 2 polite toilet paper yeah and then we because those 30 minute shits you need you need anyone to save <laughs> cinema you've came to the right place all right thank you everyone for listening uh we really are watching we really do appreciate it this was our tiff recap as well as our halloween episode as well as uh whatever the hell this was um we have lots of TIFF reviews that you can go check out from, you know, our favorite movies from the festival, like The Holdovers, like um, uh, The Boy and the Heron, like The Zone of Interest, uh, uh, like a Dream Scenario. Um, you can see us uh, dunk on Taika Waititi and Next Goal Wins, uh, things like that. So we have tons of TIFF reviews you guys can check out, as well as we will have reviews for movies like May, December, uh, Priscilla, um poor things um saltburn um all your kind of big fall festival movies um Eric and I will be reviewing over the next couple months so um the benefit of tiff being a little slow this year means that uh I'm excited for a lot of movies coming up and we'll be reviewing a lot of stuff. Um, So that should be a a ton of fun. Um, One stop shop for everything. Head over to Letterboxd, which is untitled underscore movies. You'll be able to find everything there. Um, I didn't plug this. I was recently on kind of funny for um, the first episode of Loki. Eric and I did our Loki review for episodes one through four. Um, Which you can go see and watch um, and listen to on our channels on Untitled Movie Reviews. But I hopped over to the Kind of Funny screencast and covered uh, the premiere of Loki Season 2 with Tim Geddes over on Kind of Funny. So you guys can check that out over on Kind of Funny Vids uh, as well as um, on YouTube podcast services on Screencast and all of that. Um, Eric, take it away. Yeah, and you can find
1: more of uh, my video reviews and interviews. We will have a very special uh, conversation coming up with one of the greatest filmmakers uh, working today, Todd Haynes. Uh, I spent five minutes talking to the man about May-December, so that will be coming out not in May or December, uh, but in November. Uh, Figure that one out um and so yeah you can find more of the video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinema scene and uh yeah that's about it
0: uh eric enjoy aruba um i hope to get a full report uh when you get back and then maybe we'll talk about um our new york trip we'll do maybe a vacation episode you know i still owe everyone my For orlando <laughs> trips. so <laughs> So next episode, everyone, you're getting Eric's Aruba report. You're getting Matt's um, uh, Orlando report where he's covering universal studios as well as Disney world. Then and you're talking about Matt.
1: the films of Orlando Jones.
0: Yeah. And then you're also getting the New York trip. So stay tuned for like about a week or two or maybe three months from now, who knows um, where Eric and I will be talking about all of our vacations from this year. Uh, we'll, There's movie stuff in there as well. Uh, Will this episode have an intermission? Uh, Probably not. Bye, everyone. Well, you don't need it, so. (laughs) Enjoy your shit.